Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 live from the 6th and Peabody Broadcast Studios in downtown Nashville, right behind the Music City Centers where you can find 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us as we kick off the Tennessee Power Hour with Brent Hobbs and Austin Price. The VolQuest Power Hour, 13 days from kickoff as the Vols will host Bowling Green on September the 2nd. A lot to get to today surrounding the Big Orange as we say hello to both Brent and Austin who join us uh, from Knoxville, although Austin has made his way to the Middle Tennessee area, it appears. Guys, hope you're doing well. I'm doing great, guys. Covered a little practice this morning, drove over, go play a little golf this uh, afternoon at Brentwood, and then go watch uh, Addison Nichols and Greater Atlanta Christian take on uh, Trent Dilfer, the Spillman Brothers, and Caleb Beasley over at Lipscomb. Brent, how are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Getting ready for high school football here. So uh, I'll be in the stands trying not to get thrown out of a game for yelling at officials. That does happen. If, if I do, I'll just tell them that I know Chad Withrow and it'll all be better, right? Um, and uh, we, only we get certain, started tonight. So. Only at certain high schools. Just make sure that they didn't go to Beach or Ravenwood. Uh, if they're an official, then you'll be okay. Every other high school is fine with me, but if it's Beach or Ravenwood, you're going to have problems, Brent. <laughs> So, Brent, have you actually been kicked out of a game so before? We're, we're, uh, not as a parent, no. Um, and, and I've I've been told I've, I was asked to leave a high school game uh, when I was a senior in high school, and we won't go into that. Well, that don't count. That, that doesn't point. count. But not as a parent. I've had I've had some officials, um, you know, tell me that they've heard enough, Umbre, but nobody's asked me to leave. So I'll, I'll do. I'll do my wife. My wife will be close enough beside me tonight to tell me to uh, <laughs> to tell me to shut up. There was uh, th- several years ago. I I I said that um, I, I use the word moron in a phrase, and um, about three possessions later, a seven-year-old in front of me used the word moron. So that was uh, that was when my wife started telling me to be quiet. So I will do my best to temper my temper my emotions tonight, and uh, hopefully we'll have a good night tonight. There, there has been, in reading the, the War Room this morning, which, by the way, if you're not subscribed to, to VolQuest.com, you should be. Shame on you. If you're a Tennessee fan, uh, 995, we, we should add the same name as the uh, same number as the team name uh, at, uh, at Topgolf um, for the 360 Masters. Um, guys, it, there seems to be some separation at quarterback with Joe Milton, uh, according to what you guys have reported, getting uh, the more and more first team reps. Is this going to lead to Heupel naming a starter uh, sooner rather than later, or do you think this goes into week one? Go ahead, Austin. Well, I, I can see him naming it. If he doesn't name it next Monday, then I think he's not going to do it until the game. Um, I, I just feel like, you know, next Monday is kind of a, a date that, you know, I'm circling, um, you know, for me personally, uh, just because I do think that this is the worst kept secret. I mean, like, 
Tennessee yeah. trying to act like there's some competition still going on is ridiculous. Look at their social media. Every throw you see, and you know, basically every throw you see out there pushed out there from scrimmage highlights or whatever is number seven. I mean, this is not something that, you know, I think that they're necessarily trying to hide, even though they're yet to announce. So um, it, it, I would be stunned if Joe Milton's not the starting quarterback uh, when the Tennessee, you know, debuts its offense against Bowling Green. Josh Heupel meets the media on Monday, and then we will not talk to him again until game week. So uh, I'm with you, Austin. If it doesn't happen on Monday, then I think they will try to just wait and, and announce it over the PA uh, you know, on Thursday night. But Heupel will meet the, the media this Monday, and then he will meet the media again the following Monday before they play on Thursday. Brent, let's start with you on this one. If it is Joe Milton followed by Hendon Hooker and it becomes clear over the next week or two, is Harrison Bailey gone, or does he stick with it for this season and then transfer? Well, I mean, I, I, I think – I don't know who the number two is going to be. I, my, I, my belief is that they're going to bra- – if they put out a depth chart, they're going to bracket the, the backup guy. Um, the, 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 the backup quarterback will have an oar beside it. And, and you know, we'll see. I, I don't think Harrison Bailey's leaving um, the, the program at this point. I don't think it makes sense to leave at this time. Um, I think he will go through the season, see where he's at, and then all these quarterbacks will evaluate where they're at. But semesters have started everywhere. Uh, if you transfer now, you're not going to be a factor uh, this fall anywhere. Um, you're not going to get the, the same number of opportunities in terms of schools interested in you because of their numbers situation right now. It's not the ideal time to walk away. So I, I, think, I think Harrison Bailey will be – uh, on Tennessee's roster, I think he'll dress for every game, and I think at some point you'll probably see Harrison Bailey uh, get some action, and he might get action in Week One, depending on how this thing goes in, in the Bowling Green game. I don't think Josh Heupel's looking for multiple quarterback systems, Austin, but it wouldn't surprise me if they play all three of those guys in Week One if things go well. Well, it doesn't behoove Harrison Bailey or anybody to leave. Now, Brian Mauer exited, you know, stage left earlier this week, uh, but he's been on the way out for a while. As for Harrison Bailey, I think he sets through this fall. And, you know, I think in his mind, look, it all ended up falling to me last year. It could end up falling to me again. I have to be ready. And when I am ready, I've got to take advantage of my opportunity. And if you get, if you do that and you play well and you get to the end of the season and you go, you know, you guys have no faith in me. I'm going to take my talents to some other place. Then so be it. Otherwise, you're just, you know, being the model teammate, doing what's right, and then positioning yourself to leave after this coming season. So, um, yeah, if, if he's the number two, number three, and he's not happy, I still think that he, he kind of, you know, does what most do, and that's, you know, you be a good teammate, you get through this fall, and then you figure things out after that. Austin, I want to start with you on this one. Is Tennessee relieved to have Brian Maurer officially out of that facility and out of the program? Well, I mean, you know, I think, you know, this coaching staff, you know, the reason they handled it the way they did was because, you know, his history with, with you know, mental health and he came out, and you know, tweeting about mental health, you know, a week and a half ago. Uh, that, I think that's why you never saw really Josh Heupel kind of give any kind of update on him because you know, they were going to let Brian Mauer make the decision on his own terms. If he wanted to come back, they would have welcomed him back as long as he wasn't going to be a problem. If he wanted to leave, they were going to embrace that and try to help him find a new school. So, um, I think that's what you saw happen over the last week, week and a half. And so, you know, I'm relieved. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, 
I, I do think owning that, um, you know, probably does help Tennessee a good bit just to kind of have that behind them at this point. You know, something that strikes me about this coaching staff, guys, is confidence. Um, and it's not this some sort of false bravado. And, and maybe it's, it's happy talk to some extent. But every single coach who's met with the media has not been down on their group at all. And uh, maybe Rodney Garner. Yeah, Rodney Garner was the one. You're right. That was the one that was. And he's maybe got the most experience in his group, which could be troubling. Um, but even Willie Martinez. And I want to ask you about your, your talk with him. Because that's another guy who seems to be very confident in his group. So, Brent, let's start with you on this one. What did you make of, of Willie Martinez and his media availability and the group that he inherits? Well, you know, I, I don't think for Willie it was happy talk. I, I don't think it was, hey, we're all holding hands singing Kumbaya and, and, and life's great because that's not Willie's personality. Uh, and, and talking to people um, in the program over the last four or five months, there was a real sense coming out of spring that Willie Martinez felt like he had more to work with than maybe some people thought. Uh, that's a group that's played a lot of football. They've got a lot of experience. He's not trying to break in a bunch of new guys. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that they will do that's similar to what they've done in the past. I think the biggest challenge Willie Martinez has had with this group, Austin, is, is to get them confident. I, I think they got a lot of scars. You know, they've given up a bunch of plays. Um, I think there was some uh, paralysis by analysis, if you will, probably a little overcoaching. We saw Jeremy Pruitt try to make 17 checks on the sideline pre-snap to all of his DBs, uh, you know, and sometimes those work like they did at Auburn and, and two years ago, and sometimes they didn't. So I think the biggest thing with this group was getting them some confidence because I think Willie Martinez believes there's some talent to work with there, and I don't think he felt like he inherited a situation where the cover was completely bare. Would he like to have a little more depth? Sure. But he added that to transfer portal with two corners, and I think he feels like he's got a pretty good group to work with. So I don't think that was happy talk at all this week. Well, honestly, if you look, a lot of the guys that he's coaching, Brent, are similar from a standpoint of, you know, kind of how they started their career. Danico Slaughter, Warren Burrell, thrust into early starting jobs, got scarred, got benched, never to be heard from again, so to speak. And now you go try to pull them out of the cave. And so – the bright lights do shine bright when you've been in the darkness for a long time. So um, you, you look at, you know, Alante Taylor much the same way. Alante Taylor, I think, had to be built back up mentally. So I think part of what Willie's been doing is coaching, teaching, but also trying to build up. Hey, you're a good player. you got to believe in yourself. And look, there are going to be times, and he said this yesterday, there are going to be times when you get beat. And you can't dwell on getting beat. you got to get ready for the next play. Getting beat is okay. We, we got, you just can't let, let them beat you over again. And so it's about because We're going to have to go away from Austin there for a second. Apparently uh, his Brentwood spot does not have great have uh, hubs, Wi-Fi. Right? We do still have hubs. His Wi-Fi is excellent in his house. Brent, I wanted to ask you, let's stick on offense. Running back position. Um, does Tennessee maybe have more there than what everyone else is giving them credit for having, just covering that program every day? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I don't know that they're great right there uh, because they're inexperienced, uh, but I think they're talented there. And, and I think it's a situation where – um, Tyon Evans is a guy that nobody knew exactly what he was going to be because he didn't go through spring practice. Um, 
But once he went through spring practice and, and or once he went through fall camp, that's a guy that thought very highly of. Brent Hubbs and Austin Price with us here on OutKick 360. Coming up, we get more into some position battles. It seems as though the offensive line is set. We'll get Hubbs' thoughts on that and much, much more. You can tweet in some of your questions as well at OutKick360. More coming. Tennessee Power Hour rolls on here on the, on the OutKick Network from 6th and Peabody. The Tennessee Power Hour rolls on. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Brent Hubbs joins us from Knoxville as the Vols prepare for their season opener coming up on Thursday, September 2nd, which is just around the corner. A lot to hit on this hour with Brent as we prepare for Tennessee's first game in the Josh Heupel era. Well, and Brent, we were talking about the running backs, and and while unproven, this kind of goes with the theme from the coaches of confidence, it seems that Jerry Mack has a lot of confidence in this group. He does. And, and again, I mean, here's the thing with that. And I understand Josh Heupel's desire to be, um, you know, positive and everything. And, and this staff has been very positive on the practice field. They've corrected, but they've been very positive in the media. You know, you can take that too far. And I'm not saying that they have, but, you know, there are times we're talking about walk-ons can help and some other guys there that are just not going to be really factors in. I mean, uh, Rodney Garner's the only one that says that anybody's had any kind of a bad camp or really bad days or anything like that. But specifically for the running backs, I mentioned Tyon Evans before the break. I think he's been a surprise because he's been able to do everything. Best pass protector. He can run outside. He can run inside. Jalen Wright, I think, is a guy who can play in space and do some things for him. Jabari Small is a hard runner who should have got more carries than he did last year. So I think they feel pretty good about those three guys, even though Small is the only one with experience. Beyond them, behind them, I think it's really interesting to see what do they do with D. Beckwith, what do they do with Leneth Whitehead, uh, T. Hodge. You know, how does all of that shake out if there's a fourth back needed? Right now, I think they're pretty comfortable in those top three backs, uh, and I think you'll see them rotating with, with Evan Small and, and uh, Jalen Wright. And from a talent standpoint, I don't think there's a significant drop-off from what they had a year ago. The experience standpoint, there is. Uh, but but I think they have some guys who feel like they can they feel like can make some plays in this offense for sure. Brent, looking at receiver, is it time to get worried about soft tissue injury in Valus Jones Jr. with whatever's going on with his, his hamstring that's preventing him from practicing? Well, you know he's not scrimmaged, and I think that's been more precautionary because he's done quite a bit on the practice field. Um, I, I think that they've just been really cautious about that. I think he's going to be all right. He's got a a wrap on and, and he's dealing with you know been dealing with a little bit of a hamstring deal I, I think that's more um just cautious than it, than it than it is anything right now so no i'm not overly concerned about his availability uh 13 days from now when tennessee takes on bowling green i think the one question about that group that i have is just how physical are they at the line of scrimmage uh when a corner gets up in their face and really wants to press some man-to-man you know, how good are they at getting off the ball? What's their release look like? Uh, are they physical enough at the line of scrimmage? That, that's the thing they have to prove to me. Now, coaches haven't told me that. That's just my observation. And the one question I have about them is, can they win at the line of scrimmage when that opportunity presents? That's something that they were working on very early on the practice field today um, and something that is a daily focus for them because Jalen Hyatt's got a lot of speed. He's got to play more physical at the line of scrimmage, in my opinion. And, and I think, you know, Javante Payton can be more physical. That's just something those guys need to do. 
Jimmy Callaway in the same boat where you're, you're confident that whatever he's dealing with is kind of in the, in the same groove as, as Valus Jones where you, you think he's back in a couple of weeks? I, I think he'd be back middle of next week. Um, okay. Maybe, you know, or maybe, maybe more to the end of next week. But I think you're talking about a guy who's going to miss, you know, four or five days, um, may have to wear a little brace. Uh, good news, Walker Merrill lost his big bulky brace. So that I know when talking to Walker, he feels like that's going to help him be uh, a lot quicker and a lot more explosive um, coming out of breaks, uh, you know, and, and getting off the line of scrimmage. But for, for, for Callaway, I, I think you'll see him back from middle part of next week at the latest, and I think he will be ready to go for Bowling Green. Is the offensive line pretty much set at this point? Or is, there, or is there any battle across that front five that's worth watching right now? You know, it feels pretty set. Um, you know, that, that group did not have the, the best scrimmage in scrimmage number one. Uh, they responded better in scrimmage two. They weren't perfect by any means, but they cleaned up some of their pre-snap errors. They were better in pass protection. Um, there's still some things for them to clean up. But I, I think based off scrimmage two, where they are right now, it feels like it's Cade Mays at, at right tackle. Um, it's going to be Jerome Carvin at right guard, Cooper Mays at center, Javante Spragans at left guard, and Darnell Wright at left tackle. And then I think Dane Davis is number six. And so what happens there is he's number six, but he's a tackle only. They had a go- If they had an injury in the interior, Cade would slide inside. Dane Davis would go play right tackle. If they have an injury at tackle, Dane would play left tackle or he would play for Cade Mays at right tackle. If something happened with Cooper Mays, I think you would see Jerome Carvin slide in to play center. Cade would slide in and play guard, and then Dane Davis would be the right tackle. So if there's an injury across the offensive line, Dane Davis is going to be the first one in. I think the question is, where are they 7 through 10? And we, you know, we talked about the positivity of the coaches. Glenn Ellerby said um, – you know, when he met with the media, he thought he had nine or ten guys he can play. I, I'm not buying that li- that line. I, I just look at this depth chart, or I look at the depth on that offensive line. I don't feel like that they've got nine guys that they would be confident in to play um, in, in any given situation right now. So I, I think what's the challenge for them is for the starters to clean up, stay healthy, um, and, and then they've got to build some depth and get some more confidence in, in guys seven through ten as opposed to just their top six. And Brent, you're you're description there is a great example that one injury does not just affect one backup sliding into a starting role it affects every starter on that offensive line and the continuity that's that's been built over the the last couple of weeks do they do they rotate positionally in practice to prepare for a situation like this that will inevitably happen in a game sure i mean jerome carvin takes snaps at center um you know that they get cade some work on the inside uh, at guard, Dane Davis works at left and right tackle. Darnell Wright's only working at left tackle, um, you know. But th- but they're sliding some of those versatile guys around uh, to make sure that that they can, you know, get their best five on the field. I mean, they could take a, a, a guy and plug him in at guard, but is that your best five? And, and the challenge is always getting your best five on field and I think them with their but if they had an injury the fifth guy after an injury would be Dane Davis and that would create some shuffle in there uh, and that's why they're work, they've worked on cross training some guys to make sure everybody's comfortable you know the injury to Karon Calvert while he may not have been a starter is a significant injury because Karon's a guy who could play guard or tackle so if you had an injury at guard he could have slid in and played guard and Cade Mays could have stayed at right tackle Arcade could have slid inside and you would have played Calvert at tackle and been very comfortable there. So 
really Calvert was going to be the sixth man in a lot of ways, and, and Dane Davis would have been the seventh man. That's knocked that down because of the injury to Calvert, which was a pretty significant injury, even though he's, quote, not a starter. Brent, you've covered quite a few coaching changes at this point now. Um, and uh, th- that's the best Hell, way that's to... that's the understatement of the day. <laughs> and that's, I mean, look, that's the best way for me to preface this, this statement in question. Every time there's a coaching change, there are these two or three, maybe more, great reclamation projects where the new coach comes in and they take over a player that didn't fulfill their potential with the previous staff or did nothing with the previous staff, and they become a really good player for the new staff. Is Darnell Wright in contention for great reclamation project in Josh Heupel's first year, and do you see another player, offense or defense, that may fill that role? That's a great question and a great point. Uh, I think Darnell Wright is in a situation to where he's going to play his best football this this fall. I don't think that's simply because Glenn Ellerby's his new coach or Josh Heupel's his new coach. There's two things going on with Darnell Wright. One, he's at left tackle, which is a position he's always wanted to play. It's what he played in high school. But the bigger thing is, for the first time since he's been in a college uniform, he's in shape. Okay? I mean, here's a guy who got to, to Tennessee in the summer. He was not. He, he didn't come midterm. He didn't come early summer. He, he came midsummer. When he got to Tennessee as a freshman, he was probably thirty pounds heavy. Well, guess what they did with him? They did to him what they what Austin was talking about earlier to Warren Burrell and some of those. Hey, you got to go play right now as a freshman. Yeah, you don't know the offense. You're, you're not. You know, you, you got to develop, but you're also thirty pounds overweight. But you got to go play because we need you. And, and so it was. It was tough. And then you go to last year, if you go and look at, at the things we wrote and talked about at the end of last year, who needs to have a great year after his freshman year? Who would have needed to have a great year? We all talked about how big of an offseason it was for Darnell Wright. And then COVID hits. There's no spring practice, and Darnell's got to go home. Okay? Darnell comes back after COVID. He's out of shape. He deals with COVID and quarantine. He's even further out of shape. Darnell Wright played at probably 365 last year. So for the first time in his career, he's physically to, at the level he needs to be at to be more competitive in the SEC. So I think that's the first thing that happens. And so because of that, he gains confidence. He gets confidence in himself. He does like Glenn Ellerby. I think there's some things that's a little more simple for, for the offensive line. And I think Darnell Wright's got a chance to, to have a solid year. He's got to clean up a little pass protection stuff, but he's given himself a chance to be a pass protector because he moves better than he's moved at any point in his college career. On the flip side, defensively, a guy that I'm curious to see is Trayvon Flowers. Flowers is a guy who is going to play a lot as a freshman, broke his collarbone, then he dealt with a broken leg, he's dealt with some injuries. He's played a lot of snaps, but he hasn't made a ton of plays. Okay, I mean, he's been a guy who's been back there. Uh, he's got some tackles, but but if you sit here and think, you go, when how many plays has he made? You say, wow, that's a really big-time play. Okay, he's made plays this preseason under Willie Martinez. I think Willie Martinez's arrival with Trayvon Flowers has been important because I think it's helped him gain some confidence. They've simplified some things back there. He's playing at a level he hasn't played at. I'm very anxious to see those two guys play um, in 13 days and to see what kind of season those two guys can have if they stay healthy. I read one of the more encouraging notes I've read about Tennessee practice so far in your practice observations from this morning's practice, Brent. And that was Juwan Mitchell and Jeremy Banks 
getting into it over accountability in individual linebacker drills. It has been a lot of kumbaya talk, and rightfully (laughs) so, with a new coach. I was thrilled when I saw two guys that Tennessee really needs to help lead that defense getting in each other's face a little bit at practice. Well, and here's the thing about the kumbaya stuff, okay? Uh, Yes, Josh Heupel's been positive, but anybody who's seen any of practice, whether it's the limited part we see in the media or it's another observer who gets to see all of practice, they're not singing kumbaya on the practice field, okay? I mean, it's, it's intense, it's in your face, it's corrective, it's accountability, it's all of those things from the coaching staff. When it spills over into your players holding each other accountable, now you're starting to move in the right direction, okay? I mean, a player-led team, a player-led group is what every coach is looking for. Willie Martinez talked about it yesterday. I think it's a, it's a, it's a nice note that Juwan Mitchell's comfortable enough transferring in at Tennessee that he will, he will stand up and he will have a, a, a heated discussion with one of the more vocal, popular players on the team, one of the more intense guys on the team in Jeremy Banks, and they work it out. They didn't get in a fist fight. They didn't get, I mean, they didn't stomp off mad at each other. They, they worked through it and, and they held each other accountable to what needs to be done. That's a positive sign. Does it mean a win? No, I'm not saying all of that. But it, to me, it tells you where this team is in terms of their chemistry with each other, that somebody's willing to stand up and do that. And, and somebody else's, the other side, is willing to have their discussion point with them and, and, and talk it out and, and hold each other accountable the right way. Brent Hobbs with us from VolQuest.com. Earlier this week on The Nation, Brent, Austin had the chance to chat with Danny White along with Chris Lowe on The Nation where uh, the the AD was talking championship aspirations. Beyond that comment, which got a lot of play, what did you take away from that chat with Tennessee's AD about the future of Tennessee football specifically? Well, he's got a ton of confidence in the coach he hired uh, and Josh Heupel. Um, I I think he's got a lot of confidence in the resources available to them. I think he likes this staff, and I think he likes the direction that they're going. I also think that uh, he he understands that there's a you know a lot of work to be done. Uh, but but he you know if you go out and watch this team, and they're not going to win a championship this year. Okay, let me let me say that. <laughs> but if you go out and watch this team, how they look now, how they run around now. How they carry themselves now is different than what it was in the spring for a couple of reasons. One, some of the battle scars are, are, are healing up a little bit because last year was hard and rough, but not any fun. There's a lot more confidence um, with this group. There's a lot more chemistry with this group. And it's a different group than it was in the spring. Whether it's a returning player being 25 pounds lighter like Darnell Wright or whether it's the fact that you brought in two corners who were at other SEC schools that's created a level of competition there. You brought in a linebacker from Texas and Jawan Mitchell, uh, who's got a chance to be a starter and make an impact. They've turned over this team uh, in, in, in some significant ways that's going to jumpstart them. And I think that the transfer portal has been good to this team. I think they needed to be good for them a year from now because they're going to have to be in that portal again to kind of flip the roster the way they want to but when you see them now compared to august it's hard not to have more belief you 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 know you got to remember they got a ways to go 
but they, they, they don't have as far to go as they did in April. They were not a very good football team at the end of spring practice. They are a much better-looking football team now than they were then. We saw some truly horrific openers for Jeremy Pruitt in year one against West Virginia and especially in year two against Georgia State and a shaky opener and a win against a really bad South Carolina team in year three. Bowling Green definitely, from a roster standpoint, it appears, Brent, offers an opportunity for some confidence building for Tennessee. Do you expect, now that we're less than two weeks away from kickoff, that you're going to see the same Tennessee team you've seen in practice from an energy level standpoint come out against Bowling Green and have a little fun in establishing some confidence? Well, if, if they're not, then I think you got to really question what you've accomplished the last six or seven months. But listen, if you're, if you know, I don't care if you're at a high school game tonight. Um, I don't care if you're at a college game at a smaller level, to power five level. I don't, I didn't matter. It's different right now. Now, who knows what it'll be throughout the season, but I mean, you're talking about a year ago, guys woke up every day wondering, is this the day I get told I'm in quarantine, I can't play? Um, you know, there's not going to be any stand, fans in the stands. Are we going to play or are we not going to play? There was so much angst and unknown a year ago. It was hard to have a lot of excitement, okay? And credit those teams that found it, those teams that were talented enough to find it and do that. But there were more teams that didn't find that energy level week in and week out than there were that found it. And I think that this is a put last year behind them. They're tired of hitting on each other. I think they're anxious to show everybody they're a better football team than what anybody saw a year ago. They're looking for a fresh start. I will be dumbfounded if this team does not show up with some energy and passion on a Thursday night against Bowling Green. And I won't be the only one dumbfounded. There'll be a lot of people on campus who feel the same way because I think this team's going to be revved up and ready to go. Brent, I know that the charges came down yesterday, but there was an incident in March at Kentucky where six players, uh, one of which had a gun and brought it into a party, were arrested uh, for, um, for a felony and for uh, not aggravated assault, but burglary in an incident. I'm just amazed that this kind of speaks, I think, to the coverage level in Knoxville. This would never happen in Knoxville. I can't think of anything that would take that long to report. When they've known about this for March, players have been suspended and have been sitting out in practice, and just yesterday this incident is reported. And I also think it speaks to the fact that Mark Stoops is winning at Kentucky. So the tolerance level for some off-field issues, which he's had a number of other issues this offseason, it's higher simply because he's done more than people expected at Kentucky the last couple of years. Well, and what I read about it was Mark Stoops suspended those guys after the incident occurred. Um, and they were suspended until um, the university basically allowed them to be reinstated for summer workouts and, and those types of things. And then I guess the district attorney's office uh, decided to formally charge them yesterday, which is how um, you know this, this story got out. Um, I, I am surprised that there was no incident reported. Um, was that a, an on-campus deal where you couldn't get, for some reason, nobody knew to go get their hands on an incident report? Um, you know, I, I'm surprised that it, that it didn't get out that, that there were football players involved in an incident because my guess is that somewhere along the way, and it's, it's public information through, through a Freedom of Information Act, you can get your hands on the incident report that was filed. Uh, so I'm surprised that that didn't get out there. I don't cover that beat. Uh, but it sounds like this got out yesterday when, I guess, formal charges were brought against them. 
even though I'm sure there was an incident reported r- report written a- at the time the incident occurred. But I, again, I don't know how everything works up that way. Brent, did Tennessee help themselves with Walter Nolan when he was in Neyland Stadium last week for a, a jamboree? It didn't hurt. Um, I mean, it didn't hurt at all because, I, you know, when seeing him walk through the concourse, everybody knew who he was. Everybody was talking to him. Everybody wanted to say hi and tell him to come to Tennessee. Um, so that, to me, that doesn't hurt in any way, shape, or form. I think the more you can get him around the fan base, the more you can get him in the stadium, the more you can get him around the team, the better your chances are. So um, there, there's no way it was a detriment at all to, to Tennessee's chances with Walter Nolan. I'm not saying it ended it or pushed Tennessee or will push him over the top, but it has to help. There's no way it's a hindrance. And I expect he'll be back in the stadium probably for the Thursday night game. Um, and, and I think you'll see him uh, pretty regularly for, for some games on Saturdays because I don't know how many trips he's going to get in the car and go make to go see Texas A&M unofficially or Florida unofficially uh, or any schools like that. I, I think there's a good chance he gets in the car and drives 15 minutes and um, goes and watches a game at Tennessee more than he goes and watches a game anywhere else. And Tennessee will be able to go see him the night after they play Bowling Green. They'll have that Friday night off, I believe. Yeah, that one of the advantages to playing on Thursday night, and it's not an advantage, you know, a huge advantage in my opinion, but it is an advantage. Uh, and, and some people will, who don't like the Thursday night game because it's a very inconvenient deal for them are like, I don't want to hear about this. But, <laughs> but because Tennessee's playing on Thursday night, they got to open camp two days earlier. So they got two more days of practice before school started. Uh, most of the rest of the league started school the same day Tennessee did, which was this Wednesday. They had two less days of just football-only work um, as opposed to, um, you know, having football and classes to manage. So Tennessee got a little extra time there. And then the bigger advantage, in my opinion, is Tennessee can go on the road Friday and they can go see kids play. And they can see kids play on Saturday, which you don't get the opportunity to do other than the one open date that you have. So if you want to go see a high school game that's being played on a Saturday, and there's a lot of teams and a lot of school systems around the country who play games on Saturdays. They don't play them on all on Friday night. So it's a chance to go further away from home to evaluate guys because you don't have to get back in town for a game on Saturday. Um, and it's a chance to see some more ga- games on the weekend uh, if you want to for further evaluation. So it is a recruiting help for that first weekend as they can hit the road September 1 for evaluations. I had Austin set up for this question, but I'll, I'll ask you, Brent. I've got uh, Riverdale and Franklin tonight, so I'll see Elijah Herring, who's a Tennessee commitment. His brother Caleb seems to be trending towards the Vols as well, and I know in the war room it was written that, that he could announce something as soon as this fall. Normally, when the brothers pair up like that, you, you would assume that the junior will follow the senior. Is that the case here? Well, I, I mean, I think, you, I think you better be careful not to assume. You better okay. recruit Caleb. But better recruit Caleb Herring like he's the, 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 the prospect that he is. You better not just go, ah, we don't have to talk to him because his brother's coming. So we're good there. So the worst thing you can do in recruiting is assume. I think that ends up being bad news for you. So, uh, you know, is Tennessee in better shape than everybody else? Yes, because his brother's coming to Tennessee. Uh, every time his brother comes up here, Caleb's coming with him. Um, so all of that makes sense. They're very close. I mean, they're, they're, they're very close together. Um, very attached brothers you know they do everything together uh, off the field and and everything else so i mean it, it all makes sense that it's tennessee but if you're tennessee you better recruit caleb herring like he's a big deal because i'm going to tell you you're going to find out tonight that kid's a big deal 
Um, he, he is athletic as could yeah. be. Um, they play him in space. I don't know that he's going to play in space in college. I think he's going to play off the edge, but they use him a lot in space. And Elijah Herring has, is a guy who has made as many strides as anybody, in my opinion, uh, over this offseason. Physically, he looks very different, and, and I think he's moving in a direction that makes everybody happy. I, I think that's a steal for Tennessee um, in, in terms of getting that commitment. I really like that kid. I like his mental makeup. I love where he's at physically right now, too. Brent, when you see this Scott Frost, Nebraska story, does your spidey sense start tingling and you start seeing the comparisons to Jeremy Pruitt when you see that $20 million buyout for Scott Frost if they were to fire him after this next season? Or do you see these as two completely unrelated stories because of the nature of the violations? Well, I think they're, I think they're unrelated for two reasons. One, I think the nature of the violations is one. I think the other thing, too, is, I mean, Scott Frost is, is Nebraska, okay? So that's a little harder, okay? I, I mean, for your, for, your, for your favorite son, you might have a little more, um, a little more patience there than you got for uh, a, a guy who's, you know, spent more time in his, in his time at Tennessee talking about the place he used to be at rather than the place he was at in, in, in Jeremy Pruitt. So, uh, you know, I think there's, that's something that's a little more delicate. Um, you got an AD, though, at Nebraska that didn't hire him. Uh, he is an AD that is a Nebraska guy. So I, I think that can, can be a little bit more messy in, in that way. We'll see where all of these allegations go. And how do schools deal with allegations moving forward in light of where the NCAA might or might not be? Do they view them the same? Do they view them with a little more, eh, not, not as much of a big deal? That's going to be fascinating to see how schools investigate themselves moving forward with the uncertainty of the NCAA and the Committee on Infractions. Brent Hubbs and Austin Price. VolQuest.com, the VolQuest Power Hour, each and every Friday leading into the weekend. And the weekend will include Tennessee football uh, in a, two weeks from yesterday. So here we go at Neyland Stadium. Hey, by the way, uh, Brent, Neyland Stadium with a lighting upgrade. What, what can you tell us about that for the night game? Uh, they're going to, they're getting into the, what I call the laser light show. Um, you know, they're, they're going to, they're getting into that Alabama, Georgia world where you, you know, you don't have to power up the lights, you know, two hours before the game and leave them on bright. You can turn them off. You can turn them on. You can strobe light them. You can change colors. Uh, you can do all of those things. That's a part of the, the, the fan enhancement, you know, the fan experience that you hear all of these administrators talk about. So Tennessee, is in the process of, of getting that done uh, from an installation standpoint. It's my understanding it's about halfway done. Weather's here is good here today. I think they worked some yesterday working today on that in hopes to have that done for the opener. I think you're going to see them do some different things with uh, pyrotechnics and, and fireworks uh, as a part of the pregame, not just when they score a touchdown. Um, they ought to have some fireworks left over from the last couple of years, so they'll have plenty of those to shoot <laughs> off if Josh Heifel scores some points. Um, so, uh, you know, part of Danny White, is, is since he's been here, and he, he talked to us about this when we sat down with him, he, he's very uh, mindful of tradition and wants to keep tradition, but, but also understands part of the tradition at Tennessee has been the fact that they, for years, were on the cutting edge of stuff. They created stuff that other people didn't have, turf checkerboard end zones that people have followed the T all of those things that are different 
uh, with what Tennessee's kind of become known for. He wants to get back to some of those innovations. I'm not saying lighting's innovative, you know, because everybody's doing that. But but the fan experience and being innovative for the fan experience is something that's big on his list. And, and we're starting to see that with these two minor projects. We'll see that moving forward with the new club that he's planning on putting in uh, this off season, as well as the party deck deal and the jumbotron he's going to put up in the north end. So. That's all about fan experience, and that's what Danny White's been all about and been talking about since he's been here. FallQuest.com is the website to check out over the weekend and each and every day for the latest and best Tennessee volunteer coverage. Brent, thank you as always, man. Have a great weekend. We'll catch up with you next week. All right, sounds good. Appreciate it, guys. Have a great week. Yeah, Thanks, you Brent. Too. You too. Austin as well. Uh, Austin with uh, some internet issues, no, no problem whatsoever. Uh, we'll catch up with him next week. Chad, when we come back to 360 Parlay and we get into um, what's going to be a fun weekend, we wrap it up the right way from 6th and Peabody. I went into what would probably be the best possible odds for playing a three-leg parlay that we've ever had on this show. Layups. Layups. Join us we as hope. we lay we in hope. the cash this weekend with Fandle. That's next on Outkick 360. Layups. Layups to the bank. Now, even layups can be missed, but not this weekend. Not tonight with Chad Withrow's Outkick 360 FanDuel Daily Parlay. FanDuel.com slash OK360. His Atlanta Braves taking on my Baltimore Orioles, and I told him earlier this week on Twitter, um, there, there will be no fuss here. Come, come one, come all. Grab your W's, all playoff hopefuls across Major League Baseball. Come to Camden Yards but leave Camden Yards intact for next season. That's all that the Orioles ask. My O's will deliver a win for your Braves and a win in our parlay tonight. We're going with good odds tonight on this three-leg parlay. We've got the Yankees minus 240 against the Minnesota Twins. My Braves against Hutton's O's. Max Freed on the bump. Minus 240, and I swore a week ago I would never go back to NFL preseason, so guess what I'm doing tonight, Hutton? Going back to NFL preseason. I simply looked at the biggest over-under, and the, the biggest over-under was 41 points. Playing the under in preseason games is typically a pretty safe bet based on a lack of starters they on offense. last week. Playing in these games. Give me the under between the Chiefs and the Cardinals tonight. Beauty of this parlay, Hutton, we've got all weekend to play with FanDuel. Yes. This one will be closed out tonight. Yes. So if you win, you can double down tomorrow on a new parlay. Maybe we'll feel frisky and put another one out there. If we lose, we can do the same thing, but it will be done tonight. What, what I think is funny is just looking at the depth charts of both teams for this over-under 41 because you see Chiefs and Cardinals and you think Kyler Murray against Patrick Mahomes. Right. What we're going to see tonight uh, at quarterback will be Colt McCoy taking on, and Colt McCoy's the backup in Arizona, taking on Chad Henney or Anthony Gordon as the backup quarterbacks in Kansas City. So uh, I don't see, you know, is it is it 20 to 21 20? I, I, I think it's low scoring. And I, look, the, the Titans Bucks is extremely low scoring on the over under. Uh, tomorrow night, which I think it's a, it's around 32 combined points. Well, anytime your starting quarterback is named Chad, you take the under <laughs> on points. So this is a stern rule for all betters with FanDuel. Anytime the starting quarterback's first name is Chad, like my first name, take the under. Ten times out of ten, that's what we're doing tonight. And it is funny that you just see the two teams and immediately, oh, they're going to score yeah. points in this game with those two offense. This is not 
the two offenses that we're going to see in the, in the season. Cannot happen tonight. Hey, uh, this is the Tennessee Power Hour. Shout out to all of the Tennessee high schools that kick off the high school football season this evening. Uh, I'm headed to Riverdale and Franklin for our game of the week on my TV 30. So if you're in the middle Tennessee area, that's the channel where you can tune in and watch and 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 in here and see the action as football kicks off across the state tonight for the first time in 18 years chad withrow has a friday night off now give or take a couple of fridays where he's had a wedding to attend or he's had something go on a bachelor party whatever it might be chad this is the first time where you have the entire friday night season to yourself it's a weird fall for both of us, Hutton. It is. Your first season in a long time not being a part of Titans Radio. Yep. My first season not having either a game to report and go to that game or an actual show in studio. 2004, I started as a reporter. 2006, started hosting the show. So it's been since 2003 that I've had no Friday night high school football responsibilities. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm going to be completely honest. I've read nothing about this high school football season. When people ask me, I know nothing, and I'm looking forward to just going to games and experiencing uh, experiencing it yeah. for the first time in a while. So I'll be at Green Hill High School tonight. I'm actually going to hop on the Green Hill broadcast for a short time in their pregame as they host Siegel. And I'm going to make my way around the mid-state uh, throughout the season. I say around the mid-state, I'm going to be completely honest with the audience, probably going to be a five-mile radius around my house <laughs> to begin. That's certainly the plan for the first two weeks so I can be home at a decent time and not be out until 11.30 midnight every Friday night. But I'm looking forward to it. it is a, it's a great time of year as high school football kicks off. Enjoy it if you're headed to a game tonight. If not, tune in, check it out, and, and check out the 360, uh, Outkick 360 on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Do it over the weekend if you're listening to the podcast right now. You can find the podcast literally wherever you download your podcast. Uh, go to YouTube, search out Outkick 360, and you can win the Sony and Hertz Audison prize pack. Have a great weekend. Props to David Reed and Jacob Swanson for getting us through week two. Lance Lee, feel better. Ellie, great job as well. And big thanks to Sixth and Peabody. Week two in the books from the Sixth and Peabody broadcast studios we're back at it on monday across the outkick network go to a high school game everyone hey it's jonathan hutton thanks for listening to outkick 360 be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day and give us five stars it helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one